Thank you for tuning into Calvary Life Keller's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are encouraged and challenged in your personal relationship with Jesus. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit us at www.calvarylife.us. It's so good to be here. I have a couple of people with me. My son is here, Joshua, if you could stand up. Look at him. My God. And then I got some adopted kids, too. I got Edis, if he could stand up, and Brittany. Some young entrepreneurs really wanting to make an impact uh, in, in the world that they live in. It is good to be here, and um, th- very good to be with you. Uh, it has been a while, uh, and as you probably know, our church is just getting ready to open up again. So uh, we've been filtering people back into the sanctuary, and we are you know, living in some strange times right now as we look at how we're doing church and what the future has to really define for us. Um, so it's good to be here. When I got here, I got here on Thursday. Pastor G called me and said, man, I'm, I, I, I can't wait. I want to go to dinner. Let's, I want to take you somewhere really nice. And, um, and so he came over and he took me to Cheddar's. <laughs> now, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you know I have this pet thing with Cheddar's. I actually like Cheddar's. And, but when he got there, I said to him, I'm, I'm going to go outside the box here. I, I want to go somewhere different. And he still brought me to Cheddar's. He had a gift card for me, yeah. Unbelievable. So what I want to do is um, I want to change my cadence this morning. You know, I don't want to be an evangelist, blow in, blow up, and blow out. Um, I do want to leave a deposit with you. So um, i like to just share some of my thoughts on leadership, address some of those things. I was just in Louisiana four weeks ago speaking with 35 national leaders and small crowd of individuals, that was the max that could meet there. But out of that 35 leaders, the downline was probably 60,000 members within their churches and congregants. And I wanted to share with them just some of the things I learned in ministry for the last 35 years. And um, I'd like to do the same here with some content with you. I think things are changing right now. I think as a culture, I have heard it said consistently you watch the news, that uh, as people get vaccinated and things begin to open up again, we're going to get back to normal. That's great. I just don't know what normal is. And so the question here is, what is the new normal? And so with that, just bear with me. I really need you to be attentive this morning. I'm just going to try to navigate some subjects and some content that uh, I think can leave a deposit here. Maybe one doesn't lead to the next, but they're all high-end leadership principles that you to be effective in the kingdom and for you to be effective as a believer, these are things that you can apply to your life. First, let me just say that I believe that there has been, for the last 15 years, an attack on exceptionalism. If you've never heard the phrase or the word exceptionalism, that is a cornerstone concept and foundation of the United States of America. In the early colonies, 
we had the concept that America was going to be great because America was exceptional and people came from all over the world to have an opportunity to be exceptional. We did not have a caste system. You weren't born into a caste system here. You had the opportunity, unlike fascism and unlike communism, to be able to have an open market so that you can advance yourself, get an education, go to school. Anyone could become a doctor. Anyone could become a lawyer. You had the opportunity to become exceptional. And there has been an attack on exceptional. To bring down everything that is high and to take everything that is low and bring it up and make everything common. You still with me this morning? Now bear with me. I'm like an acquired fruit. We talk about fruit in the kingdom. Everyone gets all happy. I'm like a lemon. I'm only good in doses. The good thing is I leave after this and Pastor G has to deal with your aggravation when it comes to me. So I figured I'd just, you know... Just bear with me. In doses, I'm really good. Common. We've muddied the waters when it comes to exceptional. We have attacked, and our current culture right now is attacking anything that is exceptional. And when you look at that which is exceptional, you may sense that in that we find, especially from the context of the Bible, the sin of dishonor. The sin of dishonor. I know we talk about honor in the church, but an easier way to understand honor is to look at the opposite of that. And so the opposite of honor would to make things common. So God says to us that he would like you to honor him. Don't make him common. God is not Santa. Don't make him common. He should be honored. He should have a place in your life that he is exceptional that he is first, that he is the most important thing in your life. He wants you to honor him. Jesus in his day say, you honor me with your lips, but in your hearts, they're far from me. He said, you got, a, you got this thing that's going on that you're still treating me as common. In fact, in Jesus' own hometown, he couldn't do miracles because they thought he was common yeah. and not exceptional. They said he was the carpenter's son. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was raised in his house by his you know, you might say his adopted father who was a carpenter and Jesus in his early days was making rocking chairs for people and tables. So in that town, they looked and they said, that's Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, isn't he the carpenter's son? And they just made him average, common, not exceptional. And his anointing was withstrained. He went to heal people, couldn't heal. Why? Because they seen him as a carpenter. He was not exceptional any longer. He was just common. And in that commonness, he was being dishonored. Jesus gives us a warning in the last days. I'll just pop this in here just for everyone good. You good? Turn to somebody. Sound pretty good. I tell you another thing. You'll see me taking my glasses off. So I got LASIK back in LASIK surgery. I'd been wearing glasses, oh my God, since I was, I don't know, eight years old. And, uh, and then I thought, I thought to myself, because I couldn't see without my glasses. And I thought if there was an, ever an end of world situation, like end of world, like zombie apocalypse, and I was in a field, and I lost my glasses, I'd be dead. I might as well just sit down and die because I can't see a thing. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to get LASIK. So I went to get LASIK. I can't see now. So, so, I, so, so they said that they can only fix the nearsightedness, which is really the opposite, which is the farsightedness. And, and they said, they can't, you're still going to, they can't fix from your arm uh, to your face. I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I could deal with that. You know what I'm saying? So I might need readers and everything. So I did LASIK and I can't see 
20 feet and closer, everything is blurry. In fact, everyone in this room is really blurry. <laughs> and I might add, you look great. <laughs> Never seen such a good looking crowd. Um, so this has been a little bit of a show. So you'll, you'll see me take my, oh God, but I'll take them off and put them back on. And uh, just because sometimes, like I can't see anything here and I have to put them back on. So you'll see me navigate back and forth. And, and, and so I just figured I'd add that just for the heck of it. So you don't think I have some weird speaker's twitch, you know, where <laughs> I keep taking these glasses off and putting them on. Uh, Jesus gives us a warning in the last days. He says, the last day shall be like. So he says this, this familiarity in the context of the last days. Last days would be defined in the Bible as the time period of the generation that is alive and present at the second coming of Jesus. So if the second coming of Jesus is Christmas, we're all experiencing Thanksgiving. And at Thanksgiving, we're so, we already know that Black Friday's the day after, and you're already in the sense of putting up your lights because you're getting ready, because Christmas is around the corner. Jesus said, when the times of the culture are like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, no, that that will be in the atmosphere, that cultural identity will be like the time of the second coming. And Noah's easy, because he mentions Noah, that's easy. He built the ark, no one got on it. It didn't rain for 120 years. People were preoccupied, but he mentions, and Lot. And I often wondered, okay, well, when we think of Lot, we, Lot's a peculiar individual in the Bible. We're all familiar with Lot, and we zone in on Lot's life, and we say, well, you know, it's probably... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and we look at the judgment of God coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jesus doesn't tell us what season of Lot's life that you could focus on. So I had to relook at that and say, I wonder what time period of Lot's life was Jesus referencing when he says it'll be like the days of Lot. Now, in theology, we use some little principle here called the law of first mention. And wherever something is first mentioned in the Bible, there's special emphasis to that. So if you're looking to have an understanding of love, look at where the first time love's ever mentioned in the Bible. And that'll have a special significance. If you're doing a study on Abraham, go to the beginning of where Abraham shows up on the scene because there's something unique there at the first mention of Abraham. So you would say, well, let's look at Lot because everything that flows out of Lot's life is going to flow from the first time that he's mentioned. So the first time that Lot is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abraham departed. This is God speaking to Abraham in the previous verses of Scripture and saying to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. In you, all individuals shall be blessed. I'm going to paraphrase that. The, their seeds shall be like the sands of the sea. They won't be able to be numbered. And anyone that blesses you shall be blessed. Anyone that curses you shall be cursed. And Abraham, I'm doing a great thing. I've chosen you and I'm going to bless you. Abraham says, yes, I, gotta, I want that blessing. So God gives him an instruction because he's got to break generational curses over Abraham. And in order, for, in order for God to be Abraham's father, he needs to break Abraham away from his lineage. So he says to Abraham, good, now get away from your father's house. Your father's an idolater. Your father is carnal. Your father is earthly. And I can't move in your life unless I remove you from a people to bring you to a people. Yeah, that's good. Great story. Little insert. Here's what the verse says. 
And Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 70 and 5 years old, and he departed out of Haran. Lot departed. Lot is Abraham's brother's son. It's his nephew. Little footnote. Abraham goes to his father, says, I'm out. I got to go. God's called me. Out of me is going to be a great nation, and God's going to do great things, and he's getting ready to leave. And Lot runs up to him and says, Uncle Abraham, I want to go with you. The reason he's going with Abraham because he believed that what God said to Abraham was true. That's the first mention of Lot. And Abraham departed. Lot went with Abraham. Can I take this maybe this? I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just read some of this. In Genesis chapter 13 now, a few years pass. And this relationship begins to grow. And Lot, or Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had in Lot with him in the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. So just stop there. So God prospers Abraham. Abraham's being prosperous. He's increasing in riches. He's increasing in cattle. He's increasing in everything that he has. He's flourishing. Abraham is flourishing. Footnote, Genesis chapter 13, verse 3. Don't need to turn there. And he went on his journey from the south, even unto Bethel, to the place that he had set his tent at the beginning of Bethel, and unto the place of the altar which he had made at the first. And Abraham called the name of the place there by the name of the Lord. Great. Verse 5. And Lot also went with Abraham, and he had flocks, and he had herds, and he had tents. As Abraham prospered, Lot prospered. As Abraham was blessed, Lot was blessed. You still good? So let me just stop there and go back to uh, this other portion. So leave that as a footnote. And now I'm going to say something that's just pretty radical. Are you good? Are you good? Some of you are like, I don't know. So, trying to figure out how do I say this. I said this with a group of leaders, and uh, that group was able to handle it. So let me just so so let me just let me just kind of go around this, and and try to get this to the point that uh, that you can get an understanding of this. We have this we we have this belief that when it comes to Christianity, everyone is equal. And that is true when it comes to salvation. There is neither Jew, there is neither Gentile. The road to salvation isn't distributed because of someone's education, because of someone's monetary value. It's not. God distributed salvation to everyone equally. It is available to you if you trust Jesus. So when it comes to salvation, me and and you, we come through the same door. Stripped, naked, both sinners. We walk through the door of being both sinners. Once I get in and past the door and I'm in Christianity and I'm in the kingdom, God distributes his talents differently. He distributes his anointing differently. He distributes his offices differently, which has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with just simply God saying, this one I want to set here, this one I want to set here, and it's what brings order in the family of God. You still good? So, we got scripture verses, there's just a lot of, you know, 
scripture verses here. For instance, Matthew chapter 25, don't need to go there. And unto one he gave five talents, and unto the other he gave another talent, and to another he gave two, and to another one he gave one according to his several ability. So one guy he gave five talents, to another he gave four talents, to another he gave two. Well, hold on. That's it. Cancer culture. Get rid of God. The nerve of him to give, he gave you five talents and he only gave me two talents? I thought we were equal. What's up with that? Yeah. You good? Yeah. That's unfair. You good? Mark chapter 4, verse 8, another fell on good ground, did yield fruit, and it sprang up. And some brought forth thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some a hundredfold. Let me at least confess to you that I have been around people with great anointings. I've had the privilege to be in rooms with individuals who had greater anointing than me, greater position than me, that were Abrahams, different than what another position might have. This is true in 1 Corinthians. When Paul addresses the church, he says, we're all not eyes, we're all not ears. Some are legs, some are arms, some are ears, some are eyes, some are... Meaning God sets into the body you in a position for you to flourish. But if we begin to operate in the kingdom as if everyone is common, then we'll begin to walk in levels of dishonor rather than honor. I want to talk on the subject for a second of that which is highly favored. That which is highly favored. There's only one portion of scripture where highly favored is mentioned in the Bible. And it is here. It is the angel in Luke chapter 1 speaking to Mary and said to Mary in verse 28, the angel came to her. This is a Christmas verse. Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You are highly favored. It's the only place. Now, if you asked, just, if you had bumped into Mary right after that, and within the first five years, forget that, first five months of that angel appearing to Mary. Picture this, comes down. You're not Mary, but you're highly favored. You would think, I would interpret that like things are going to get good. Right? You're, you're highly favored. I'm going to exalt you above everyone else. I'm going to put you in this place. You are not common. You are going to be favored. If you bumped into Mary, who had to go home and tell her fiancé that she was now pregnant, you, she would not tell you that she was favored. Read the scripture verses. People wanted to stone Mary, and Joseph tried to put her away privately because he didn't want Mary to be stoned. He was confused. She came home and said, I got pregnant. He said, by who? She said, it's like a God thing. I don't know. <laughs> what, are you kidding me? That's what you're going with? That's the best you could come up with? You don't know? An angel appeared to you? And you got a bun in the oven? It was so severe, so severe that an angel had to come to Joseph yeah, yeah. and tell him, hold up, boy. <laughs> she is highly favored, and she did get pregnant from God. She was the disgrace of her hometown. Wow. 
You know how people gossip. People gossip in church is terrible. Imagine in that small Jewish community. She's highly favored. If you asked her that, she would have been like, I don't want that favor. Joseph, highly favored. He's favored. He, in his generation, he's not highly favored. He has great favor on Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. You want that favor? Yeah, I know. You want to be favored. Because we come to church and we just want to be favored. We all want to be, we just want this thing where we just want to be favored. And we, we, we dish out favor like it's so common that it's no longer favor. Gee, I got this envelope for you. I'm going to give it to you because you're special. Here's this envelope. You turn around. I got this envelope for you too. You're special. <laughs> You're special, too. I give this. After a while, he ain't special no more. Well, I thought I was special, but you gave it to everybody. So if you gave that which was special to everyone, then special is no longer special. If God distributed favor to the degree on everyone, then what would be highly favored? You're no longer favored. You're common. If you were to bump into Joseph, what did favor do for Joseph? Oh, I know. You go to the palace, but you forget the pit. Favor got him afflicted by his brothers, almost killed by his brothers. Favor got him thrown into a pit, sold to the Midianites, bought by Potiphar. His favor in Potiphar's house raised him from all the servants to the highest realm of servanthood within Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife, had a thing for Joseph. She was a cougar. <laughs> she, she, was, she looked at Joseph. She said, my God, I got to have you. Joseph, Joseph went to prison to save Potiphar's marriage. Wow. Favor got him thrown in prison. Can I go a little farther here? I just, I just, so let me make some rad statement here. Here it is. Everyone's not highly favored. Because if everyone was highly favored, then favor would be normal. And how would that be favor? Everyone's not exceptional because if exceptional is normal, then it's no longer exceptional. It's just normal. Here's the truth. Some of us have been chosen to walk in levels of favor that other people are destined to follow in. Let me go back to Genesis chapter 13. So let's go back to Lot for a second. And in chapter uh, 6, it says, The land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. And there was strife between, verse 7, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle and, and of the Canaanites and the Perizzites who dwelt in the land. And Abraham, in verse 8, comes to Lot and said, Let there be no strife between me and thee and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Is not the whole land before us? Separate yourself, I pray thee, from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I shall go to the left. So wait a second, Abraham is blessed, he's favored by God, the blessing of God is on him. Lot has been prosperous because Lot was called to walk in Abraham's favor. Yeah, that's so good. Lot was called to walk in Abraham's favor. But Abraham's herdsmen, his congregation, Abraham's congregation 
was arguing and chiding against Ab uh, Lot's congregation was chiding against Abraham's congregation and there was this there was this turmoil and there was so much strife that Abraham the guy that's highly favored comes to Lot and says Lot let there be no strife we're relatives let us separate Jesus said the last day shall be like the days of Lot well what part of Lot's life Sodom and Gomorrah is bad fruit from the root of Lot's decision. And Lot's decision was to separate from Abraham and to section himself off from the blessing. Some of you are going to get that a little bit later. So what happens? Lot separates from Abraham. Here's the funny thing about Abraham. Abraham was walking in the favor of God. So here's what he said. He was so confident that whatever God said would come to pass, that he didn't need to build on another man's uh, land. He didn't, need to, he didn't need favor from anyone on earth. He simply said, you go to the left, doesn't matter. I'll pick the right. Because anywhere I go, I'm going to be fine because God's with me. You know what Lot should have said? He should have said, Uncle Abraham, Hold on right here. I'm not separating from you. No, no, because I understand honor and I understand the favor of God and I understand that God is blessing you and I understand that I've been blessed because I've been following you. I understand that my blessing flows from you. So I'll get rid of all of my herdsmen if they don't want to. If they don't want to listen, I'll get rid of all of them because I'm going to stay connected to you. And Lot looked up, here's what the Bible says, and there was strife. And here's what he said, is not the whole land before thee? Separate yourself, I pray thee. And uh, he said, you take the left, I'll take the right. Pick before you. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, he seen the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. It was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose him the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed to the east. He looked up and his eyes saw. He just looked up, and Lot was an earthly man. He was a carnal man. And Lot separated himself from the favor of God, which flowed through Abraham. Because he's seen things not through that favor, because he didn't have that favor. And he made choices based on what he saw. Jesus says the last day shall be like the days of Lot. Well, what was the worst decision Lot ever made? Separated from Abraham. Why in God's name would you separate from Abraham? Abraham resides the blessing of God. In Abraham resides the fullness of the offspring of God, the anointing of God. Everything is flowing from him. Why would you choose to do that? Then in the New Testament, we get Peter. He comes along and says some wacky stuff. He's like, and righteous Lot, who was vexed. I was often wonder, what righteous Lot? Lot loses his family. His wife turns into a pillar of salt. She got real salty with the whole idea of what was going on. She was just like, you know, this whole storyline of Lot. And, and, but here's what, here's what Peter focuses on. He calls him righteous Abraham. Where does the New Testament righteousness flow from? Flows from the cross. So here's what he said. Abraham's righteousness flowed from the cross, but he suffered greatly in his effectiveness in the world he was in. He was saved, but his life was miserable. He was saved, but his marriage was a mess. He was saved, but he couldn't keep his children in line. He was saved, but he was ineffective as an elder in the city. He was saved, but he made no impact. Yet, he was saved. His righteousness, 
The righteousness that Lot had still flowed from God. I'm going to keep plugging along here. So it is my belief that God has amazingly caused certain individuals to have a level of burden for leadership in which they are favored for that others are destined to follow in. Some of you in here have been chosen to walk in a level of favor. In fact, I think all blessing, all blessing, all anointing is tracked back to the favor of someone else. Well, how are you getting to heaven? Isn't that tracked back to the favor of someone else? So I'm not going to the pearly gate saying, Lord, don't you know who I am? I'm going to the pearly gate saying, don't you know who Jesus is? Yes. Your favor's on Jesus. And as long as I stay within his favor, I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Are we not operating still under the blessing of Abraham? Isn't, isn't it better for us to be positioned so that favor flows over us? This is what's been lost in our generation and is under attack in our generation because the reality is, is some individuals are going to walk in levels of favor that others are destined to follow in. You're either meant to be favored or you're meant to follow in the favor of someone else. We all can't be chiefs. In order to be effective in ministry, in order to be effective in church, if this church is to be effective, we have to rightly understand that God is going to raise up some individuals and there is going to be a level of favor on this house that should flow unto you. There are examples of this throughout the Bible. Um, obviously, you know, you can, you can just look at Ruth, uh, who owned nothing. She had lost everything uh, and she ends up tilling in Boaz's field, ends up inheriting Boaz's field. I want to make sure I give you uh, uh, this. So favor, favor, which is God distributing an element of blessing, an element that someone is chosen to open up doors someone else walks through. The level of favor that God puts in the highest realm is meant to serve other individuals. Favor to serve. Favor makes us effective. And so I want to give you very fast three prerequisites of favor. And just, just write number one, favor is fueled by conduct. Favor is fueled by conduct. Joseph's character in his early days and his conduct needed to shift in order for favor to operate in his life. Joseph's conduct, his conduct, uh, he used to walk around with his coat of many colors. I'm sure he aggravated his whole family. I look at my coat, everywhere he goes, look at my coat. Um, even his brothers knew that the father favored him, you know, above all the other brothers. He's got 11 brothers, and he's got a coat of many colors, a little Sunday school coat of many, many colors that we teach our little kids. And he's walking around, look at my coat. Daddy loves me. He loves me more than you. Um, you know, he, lo he loves me. I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. And God gives them dreams. God's declaring, I'm going to do something in your life separate from what's going on in your brother's. But he doesn't know how to handle the favor that's on his life. He doesn't know how to handle the favor on his life. He doesn't have the right conduct. 
He's got arrogance. He uses favor for intimidation. He uses favor to get his brothers to serve him. He doesn't realize that favor, favor, the highest realms of favor, that if you're a door opener, it is to serve other individuals. People, I, I've had people in the past, and pastors in here would know this, people come into the church, and rather than go somewhere and plant their own church, it's much more effective to take someone else's church. And so they would come in, and they, they would want that. And, 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 but what they wanted is what, Abraham, what Lot wanted. They wanted the benefits of favor without the cost of favor. I want what Abraham has, but I don't want to pay the price. I want the wealth Abraham has, but I don't want to pay the price. You still good? I'm just going to keep playing. I can't see anyway, so I don't really know what your face is doing right now. Some of you are smart. You put a mask on, so I don't really know what's going on with, you know, that whole, like, is he off or, you know. Favor is fueled by conduct. And God always refines us and refines our conduct to prepare to use his favor. Number two, favor is activated by pressure. Favor is activated. Favor only works, you, you read the Bible, only works when you're under pressure. Favor is only going to work. It's increased or it's, uh, it's, uh, it's activated by pressure. This is what makes these people heroes. Abraham's a hero because in every circumstance of life and death that he's put into, every circumstance where something has to happen, God shows up, but that circumstance is a circumstance of pressure. Mary has Jesus, but it's been pressure. Joseph gets sold into slavery. It's only activated by pressure. Joseph becomes a hero. We look back at the story and we say, oh my God, well, oh, Joseph's awesome. I mean, Joseph went from the pit to the palace. That was 21 years. 21 years of being rejected by his family. He was 17 years in prison. Is that what you want? I don't pray for favor no more. I'm like, God, keep it. Why? Because it comes with aggravation. I don't want that favor. What, why it comes? It only gets activated by pressure. So, so that means I got to go from one pressure cooker to the next pressure cooker to the next pressure cooker in order for favor to work. And when favor works, it doesn't work for me. It works through me and blesses someone else. So I get stuck opening up the door for someone else. They couldn't even find a door. So what did God do? He sent me nowhere to find a door that was no place to make the ark for someone else to get on. And then someone just comes along and says, I want to have that door too. Well, then go pay the price. I would gladly give you the door if you took the pressure that came with the door. He's put in prison. What happens in prison? He's promoted. Favor. No matter what circumstance Joseph's put in, favor causes him to go to the top. Esther's favored. In fact, the Bible says she was favored above all others. What does Esther need to do? Esther, Esther's great. She wins a beauty pageant. And she uses that effectiveness. She wins the heart. She got favor. Favor's all over this. Um, she got uh, favor with the lead eunuch that was in the king's palace who gave her the secret. So in Esther's day, the king needed a wife. So what does he do? 
he's the bachelor of his generation. He has a beauty contest and the best looking women from all over come and they're going to have a time to sit with him and here's what you get if you were included. Every girl who went there to see if she would be chosen by the king to be the wife gets to go into his jewelry chest and whatever they wear, they get to keep if he doesn't choose her. So I'm sure you must have, I mean, some of the girls must have been going in like strapping pearls on, this on, hats on, headbands on, necklaces of gold. And as soon as they walked into the king dragging all the gold, he would say, gold digger. <laughs> so the eunuch tells Esther, don't take nothing. Because you shouldn't be after what he has. You should be after him. You shouldn't be after his riches. You should be after his heart. Don't take nothing. You go in and you just be a plain beauty like you are. She goes in and sits with the king. She's a Jewish girl. She was one of the only Jewish girls that we know of. Could be the only Jewish girl that was brought before because the Jews were under slavery at that point and under oppression. And so Jewish girls, unlike the Median girls and the Palestinian girls who were uneducated, in Judaism, every girl was to be educated. So she knew mathematics. She knew how to read. She knew how to communicate. She sat down and had discussions with him, and he was blown away. That Esther was not just a good-looking girl. She had a mind. And favor causes her to risk her life to save all of Israel. Great pain accompanies favor. Great pain accompanies favor. The highest distribution of favor. Favor, even the favor that you have in your life. So there's, there's levels of favor. Every one of you in here is operating in a level of favor. It's what allows you to have a sphere of influence in your life. And as you begin to execute the level of favor in your life, then God can either increase it or it can become stagnant. When you come into the church, it's another level of favor. God has put elders in position. He has put mentors in position. And they're there to pour into you. And, and, and they're there to try to help open up doors for you. And that's another level of favor. And so God distributes this in a way that there would be honor. Honor is very important. And, and, and I want to make sure that I say this because I, I got a different definition of honor that, that I'd like to just, just give you that I might be able to, you might be able to understand it a little bit better. Um, honor is like a treasure buried in the earth. So honor, honor is like a treasure buried in the earth. You cannot obtain the treasure without managing the dirt. Let me say that one more time. Honor is a treasure buried in the earth. You cannot obtain the treasure without managing the dirt. If you can't manage people's dirt, you'll never pull out the honor and treasure that's in them. And we all have levels of dirt. We're made from dirt. Jesus, in the parable of the field, found a treasure buried in the field. So what did he do? He went and paid the price to purchase the field so he can pull out that treasure. That treasure, that treasure that is there, I equate it to also understanding honor. If I can't manage people's dirt, then I can't pull the treasure out of them. Dirt and leadership go hand in hand. Dirt and leadership... I had some leaders complain one time that, you know, um, they don't want to lead people that are imperfect. <laughs> okay, well, get out of leadership then. You know, because leadership is about leading people through difficult times. 
If you can't manage their dirt, you shouldn't be in leadership. Still good? And now the last one would be um, favor is increased through service. So favor, favor is fueled by conduct. Favor is activated by pressure. And then finally, favor is increased through service. I, so I spoke to a group of pastors on this, and, and the head of the network of churches that was there, Dan, uh, he's been a good friend of mine over the years, and I said to him, understanding favor, much easier, stand up for a second, Pastor G, much easier, I mean, I would think, why would I want, if I'm in here, why would I want his position? I don't, I don't, want, I don't want your position. I want the blessings that flow through you. But if favor is activated by pressure, he's going to pay a price. He's going to have to go from one state to another state, uproot his family. He's going to have to go to the backside of the mountain in order to hear from God. We want to be Moses, but we don't want the burning bush. We want the burning bush, but we don't want to be, we don't want to escape Egypt. We don't want to go through all that. But now that he might be in a place, it's much easier for me. I look at this and say, it's much easier for me, for you to be Uncle Abraham and to be positioned underneath his favor. Why? Because he pays the price and I reap the benefits. So wouldn't it be easier for me to be her and Aaron mm -hmm. and hold his hands up knowing that if he's effective, the church is effective, and when the church prospers, we all prosper. Is that, it's like one person was like, amen. <laughs> Yolanda's wife. <laughs> he looks like Father Abraham. Look at the beard. <laughs> we have a joke in Connecticut. You know, you know what we call it, Pastor G? I don't even know if I should say it. We call him Baby Jakes. <laughs> he just, because this, he just, I just love it, man. You just, my God, you're good looking. Oh, but wait a second. You flow from my ministry. That's why you're good looking. <laughs> so favors increase through service. Favor lays dormant until it's invested in someone else's need. Unless Joseph has a dream to interpret, we don't know he's an interpreter of dreams. Unless there's a crisis, Joseph doesn't get out of prison. So favor is dormant. We don't, Joseph's favor's dormant. Joseph's favor can't get him out of prison. Joseph's favor can't restore him to his family. Joseph's favor doesn't work for him. It works through him. And it's only activated when someone else needs it. Many of us, we don't want favor to serve. We want favor to lead. We want favor to stand out. We want favor to be superior. We want favor to give us business cards. In the kingdom, favor only operates when it's invested in someone else's need. My best counseling advice only happens when I'm counseling someone. In fact, sometimes I get out of a counseling session and I'm shocked at what I said. Because it was God-inspired, and in my natural understanding, I might not have had that wisdom to give you, but what was happening, you were pulling out of me some of the favor that's in me, and after it went to you, I had to sit back and write it down because it was so good. Does that, does that make sense? And so this favor, it lies dormant until we find someone with a need. So Abraham... It's fulfilling a need. Joseph is fulfilling a need. Esther is fulfilling a need. 
And I find the greatest levels of favor that begin to get activated in our life is when we're serving someone else. Favor is increased through service. The more I serve, the more favor God gives me. That's why in the kingdom, in the church, you have opportunity to serve. We want you to serve in this church so that you can benefit from the favor that's on you because you're helping someone else, and as you help someone else, God helps you. But if you're unwilling to get off the pew, and you're unwilling to activate and be involved in ministry, then you're going to want to reap the benefits of ministry without being a participant of ministry. Favor, favor. Ministry isn't designed so that you can stand out. Ministry is designed so you can serve. Ministry is designed for you to serve. And when you serve other people, you get your hands in their dirt. And you can't put your hands in their dirt without getting dirty. For those that are the highest levels of favor, you're only valuable when you're needed. You good? Uh, obviously, last March, um, during the pandemic, our state, like yours, our state shut down. It was locked up. Churches, Some churches didn't survive. So we're coming out of this, and we have record numbers of churches in the state of Connecticut that have closed. And uh, seeing this so far off, I had a strategy to put in place to sustain us through the empty sanctuary as we got together for church and trying to stay networked with our membership, which was spread out through the towns and cities in our area, and, uh, and then also dealing with the economics. Our tithe went down 70%. So we were operating with 30% of our offering. We had to, thank God, we had been covered on television for so many years that streaming was easy, so we just clicked the switch and we were able to stream. But I had to come up with a strategy in order to figure out how then are we able to be sustainable on a multi-year plan of getting through COVID and then preparing to be open again and economically be able to survive, which we're in now. We're enacting that plan and navigating that plan now. And, and I realized that at that, at that moment, um, I was pressing in to asking God for some favor to get an understanding. And I was probably never more needed than when the state shut down. Not only was I needed by my leadership team, but my local bank called me to sit on the board of how to distribute PPP to the nonprofit sector. And so we got involved with them also, and, and I, got, I worked with them also. And, and this just simply says, what I, the point I'm trying to say is, you're only valuable when you're needed. A need arose, and trying to get God's answer for that moment put pressure, the pressure of leaning on the favor of God. So... As you gather together and you're looking at an opening, which, by the way, there's a nice amount of people here considering you're just coming back to church too. So, I mean, look around the church here today. I mean, there's, there's a good amount of people here as we look to the future to, I wouldn't say rebuild our congregations, but rebirth them again. And then also prepare. So we're preparing for the possibility of another pandemic. Why? Well, I don't want to be caught unaware. I don't, I don't want to be stuck two years from now and something happens also. And so we're preparing uh, for that also. The structure in the kingdom, and I find this to be true, 
So Elijah takes a mentee, Elisha, and because Elisha serves well, he ends up inheriting a mantle, and he ends up prospering in his life. Now more than ever does I, do I think that the church needs to redig the wells of its infrastructure and order when it comes to leadership. Because to be effective in the 21st century is going to take a different realm of leadership, a different way of leading into the future. And um, as we look to the next five years, we're implementing plans uh, shifting. So Calvary operated in Connecticut. Calvary operated, which maybe many churches in Texas. I, I told my leadership team, we've operated like a Bentley. Are you familiar with a Bentley? Rolex. Are you familiar with a Rolex? Operate like a Bentley. Gorgeous facility. I mean, just gorgeous, beautiful Bentley. There's no one in it for a year. We gathered together to do church with a series of cameras, six people in the building. You could see tumbleweeds over the hundreds of chairs in the sanctuary. And I, after, you know, the third week, then you got to preach to no one. So now you're, you're like, you know, preachers like the interactiveness of, you know, somebody saying amen, what I don't have today. Um, <laughs> Amen. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? And, and so you start to look at that and the tumbleweeds going by. We, we have had the luxury of operating in a state-of-the-art facility. That facility had been written up in a magazine. It's on, it's on the uh, architectural magazine. It is a Bentley. Do I need a Bentley in an epidemic? I need a Fiat. I remember traveling to uh, Italy. Went to Italy and gas there was so expensive per liter that... Uh, People travel around in little Fiats, most sold vehicle in the world, Fiat, company Fiat. And uh, they tried to come to America and no one bought it. We need to switch to a sports car. So now we're looking at what adjustments we can make for the future. Sometimes it's nice to have a Rolex on, but at the end of the day, a Timex still tells time. Are you, are you with me? And so there are some churches today that have a $100,000 a month mortgage. And they were shut down by the state. Some are not surviving. Some of the big church buildings are going to go the way of AMC. Probably not survive the pandemic. It becomes important for leadership within the church to begin to hear from God for the future like Joseph did in the seven years of plenty to prepare him against the seven years of famine. So we're looking at adjustments we can make in the next 24 months to 36 months that'll prepare us for the next 10 years. We want to be able to make sure that we have a silo set up so that we're able to survive any shutdown, any cultural, you know, chaos that happens that we as a church can be able to survive. I would challenge you today that the core of that is getting back to some of the basics, which is one of those basics, which is understanding exceptionalism, understanding favor, understanding honor. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Understanding those things to be effective in our generation. So stand with me this morning. How many are leaders in here? How many have any, any realm of leadership in here? Authority that you're over in ministry. How many are in ministry in this church? If you're in ministry, raise your hand if you're, if you're in ministry. Okay, so leaders and ministry workers, I believe there'll be more pressure on you in the next three years 
than you might have had in all the previous years of your Christianity, however long you've been a believer. And I believe the enemy is going to try to separate you from the vision of your local church. Not just this church, in every church. I believe the enemy's at work using isolationism, separation, to separate you from the purposes of God. So I want to pray with you. And those of you that are in here, you might be visiting, you might be trying to figure out, is this the church I should be at? Well, I say yes, but you have to discover whether this is the church for you. Because for this church to be effective, it has to find the people who are called to this church. It has to find those who have been assigned to this church. You believe that God sent you here. You know, we, we try not to convince people uh, whether they should join Calvary in Connecticut because then we have to convince them for the rest of their tenure. It's like every Sunday is a convincement, you know what I'm saying? And, and then they go through trouble and you're, we're still convincing them. So we try to instruct them that if this is the church for you, because no church is perfect, and every time you get a revelation of something, the enemy attacks that revelation. But for you to discover if this Dallas, well, Fort Worth, I get confused with that, Fort Worth campus, it's the campus that you feel God is calling you to, then the enemy will attack that decision and try to get you to disbelieve that. But I would encourage you, seek the mind of God, because to be in an effective church in this generation, to be in a church that has one ear to what God wants to do is so valuable in the times that we live in. With every hand raised, if you're in ministry, raise your hand. Everyone in here, lift your hands. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for church. We thank you that we can gather together in this building, Lord. We thank you for our senior pastor at this location, which is, which is Pastor G and, and uh, Pastor Yolanda, for their effectiveness and willingness to 10 years ago relocate to Texas to uproot their family, to come to an unknown place to plant a church, believing that one day some people would actually come to church. Father, we look around us. We see the fruit of that decision today. And Father, we bless them. We honor them today in this house. We thank you that they chose to do this radical thing, which was relocate here, to get jobs here, to plant a church here, and to risk their entire future um, to your will, God, Father, we thank you. We thank you for those that have come alongside of them. Pastor Steve and his wife Leona and, and the leadership team that has grown in this campus, Lord. We thank you that they were able to identify that there was favor on this couple. And they believed that their blessing was connected to the effectiveness of Pastor G and Pastor Yolanda. And Father, we pray, we pray that blessings would flow from them, Lord God, into the loins of this congregation. We pray for every member of this church, every ministry worker of this church. And Father, we, pray, we just pray blessing upon them and uh, God, that you would have your way and flow your blessing, your prosperity, your stability, and your favor upon them, Father, we pray today. In Jesus' name we all say. Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. Thank you and have a blessed week.